Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Shri, the VP and head of data science at Reorg. And we discuss how Reorg has used data science to become a global provider of financial intelligence, the opportunities AI presents to create new employment, and what to look for when building your first data science team from scratch. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Have you ever done data science project on beards? Um, <laughs> no, I did not. No. That's something. It's an interesting uh, question, actually. Could be an interesting project. I can think of. You know, uh, I'm thinking the first thing that comes to my mind is um, like having images of beards and kind of ranking them. And, uh, you know, like use image recognition technology to understand what kind of beards are cool. And when somebody wants to grow a beard, maybe it can suggest what type, like how long they should grow maybe and how they should uh, trim it. Should, should they go for a chisel look or just like a buzz or, you know, I mean, I think there is some room there. We can API with 23andMe and Ancestry <laughs> DNA. And we can give you like a beard strength meter so you know how well you can grow a beard before even trying. Analyze yeah. all the DNA. Yeah. yeah. There we go. I have to check it out if there's somebody <laughs> working on this project. I'm sure uh, there might be someone, you know, a startup like asking for funds to about this idea. But if not, you and me. There we go. We could approach a beard brand, right? Like, like the top beard brand. Yeah. And then get that, their weight behind it. And they would do it as a marketing ploy and it would sell their beard products. Yep. 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 Oh my God. Great idea right there. Right. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. No, this is great. My team said they're like, we talked to him and he is obsessed. He loves data science. This is like the data science interview of the year. And so I was just curious, like when you were a kid, did you love data science or when did, when did you fall in love with it? Okay. So as a kid, I mean, uh, I always was interested in uh, operating and working with heavy machinery. Like, you know, I had like this, like thought of driving a train and then uh, I became a mechanical engineer. Like I had hobbies of fixing things like that as like fixing cars and like, you know, constructing like something like really small projects that would work. And, um, and then like eventually I studied physics and went like became a mechanical engineer specialized in uh, uh, production and robotics. But I also solved math problems, uh, enjoyed solving math problems. So I kind of like steered my um, uh, education towards uh, more into applied math and statistics and started digging into um, this uh, machine learning. Uh, my uh, the PhD research was like energy resources uh, optimization and uh, pricing optimization. And my mentors introduced me to machine learning which they called it as statistical learning. Um, and then uh, from there, it just took it off. Uh, things kind of worked out. Uh, wanted to go into academia, but um, but then like changed my mind, came into industry and uh, and was, it's going well so far. Why did you choose, why did you choose industry over academia? Um, so, I mean, I think like in industry, it's fast moving and then also about 
obviously making money and uh, building something cool and building a team and uh, like getting like I can switch areas. But in academia, I noticed that I have to like uh, stick to a specific field in order to really become an expert in the field, dig deeper and work on it for years to come. And I thought like, you know, I think my interest is like, I'm easily adaptable to many fields and uh, I would like to keep that open and uh, also like build a team and build something that generates uh, revenue. Nice. Nice. So did you get to like build the team from the ground up here? Oh yeah, uh, I, I did. I had a chance to do it. So I started uh, New York uh, like four and a half years ago. I was the only data scientist. And now like we are a team of three, including me, Dejas uh, and Charo. So um, I, I actually teach uh, at School of Data Science in the University of Virginia. So one of the data scientists that we hired, uh, she was a student of mine. And we kind of like uh, things worked out and like uh, we uh, did an internship and she really liked the field and she is now working with us. And also like doing, uh, we, we have built a pipeline with the University of Virginia School of Data Science so that we can teach a nurture talent and uh, hire. Very cool. So what is, what is like the 10,000 foot overview of what Reorg does? Um, so Reorg is uh, founded in 2013 uh, by our founder and current CEO, Kent, uh, and it's headquartered in New York. So we are a global provider of uh, financial intelligence, uh, of uh, information and real-time analysis of distressed companies and bankruptcy procedures. So any company, like not any company, any large company that files for bankruptcy, we study them. Uh, we analyze them and write about it. Uh, our major clientele includes hedge funds, uh, bankruptcy uh, lawyers, and uh, investment bankers. Um, so we have like team of like a huge editorial team. We have legal analysts, we have financial analysts, we have covenants analysts, and like a large tech team, which is data science is part of. So we analyze uh, distress situations in every different uh, angle and like do an in-depth analysis and sell that information. So when the market is down, that's actually like an up for you guys. <laughs> Funny you said that, yes. <laughs> uh, especially now uh, because of the pandemic, uh, which is an unfortunate situation, but like uh, business is booming for us. <laughs> right? Well, it's, yeah. And then you're also helping people too, because you're helping distressed businesses like exit or, you know, people not lose their jobs. If a company can acquire a distressed business and keep it going, if, if your data and research and tools and analysis can help get that distressed deal to an investor faster than it otherwise would have, you have a higher likelihood of, of helping the people there. Oh yeah, that's actually a great way you put that. Um, yeah, I would, I, I, I would agree. I'm applying for your marketing and PR team right now. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. We do have a great team, and uh, I'm sure it would be a great addition. So, tell me a little bit about what you're really excited about at at Reorg. Like, what are you doing that you're really passionate about as far as like projects? Um, no, many things. Uh, where should I start? Um, so. 
now like uh, especially uh, we want to like grow more into a data company and we are uh, designing uh, many different data products interesting data products along with the product team and um, so i'm excited to like work on them and see how data science can play a role on each of these products and what else can we uh, like do in terms of innovation because the data is basically there uh, in its raw form i think it's an interesting uh, task to see how we can extract the useful information out of it like cleverly and uh, organize it in a way that it's like uh, you know is valuable both technically and monetarily um, so that is what I'm looking forward to see. And like Reorg is growing like faster than ever. We are having new people joining uh, tech team, product team, many other teams. So I'm like looking to see fresh ideas from the new joiners and how we can implement them, any ideas that we haven't thought of before. Uh, and also we are like getting more data. So how can we leverage the new data uh, to construct like, uh, you know, a neat uh, data products and, uh, and like tools or dashboards. So how has your job been changing throughout this growth? Like where, where were you at before COVID as far as your responsibilities and where are you at today? So the... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, like it's it's growing pretty much uh, a lot. Like as like we have like so far around like sixty data science models that are running. So as you can imagine, it's like the models are like our babies. We need to like take care of them and uh, uh, you know make sure they're they're like uh, like doing what we expect them to do. And some models like keep learning and training, so we keep an eye on them. So, and then as the team is growing, the manager of responsibilities grow and like, you know, as more data comes in, the technical challenges and our customer uh, base is increasing too. So that brings us more traffic and uh, opportunity to like make the uh, models work more, uh, you know, faster or like uh, more reliable. So all these like uh, challenges are kind of like, you know, makes me, uh, makes me into a wiser person and uh, helping me uh, to learn a lot that I haven't known before. When people who are new to this, when they ask you, they say, Shri, like, what is data science? How do you explain it to them? Um, nice. Um, so I think like uh, the, the same question was asked during my interview here. And I think like uh, data science is a multidisciplinary field. It's a mix of like um, programming. Uh, statistics and mathematical skills with some business acumen and you know obviously communication is important but uh, if you ask me like what uh, how do you define a data science scientist I would say a data scientist is the best uh, programmer in a room of statisticians and the best statistician in a room of programmers so we uh, would like to do both but uh, a mix of both and like what is like a good marriage of both of them and try to like, you know, that's, that's what a data science model is. We, we, we write it on the paper with some equations and have a hypothesis and then we code it in the computer to build it. And then are people ever scared of this? Are they ever like all oh, these data science models or these models, these artificial intelligent things, they're going to take over the world and rule us all? Like, do you get fear from people ever? Um, I hear that a lot. Uh, there is some misconception there. Uh, people might think 
when we say that oh yeah we're going to build a data science model people might think oh my god are they going to automate everything or like will, will that like pose any threat to the jobs but in fact uh, i would uh, argue the other way around and actually uh, it came true at reorg uh, for example uh, i feel like artificial intelligence is more like an augmented intelligence rather than artificial intelligence uh, meaning that it is these models are there to help us um, and assist us uh, uh, through tedious tasks rather than like replacing us. For example, we get like massive amounts of like documents every day, tens of thousands of them. And uh, it could be tedious uh, for uh, or cumbersome like for any person, like, you know, we do have like a large editorial team, but it could like become strenuous to like re go through each one of them. So there are like this series of machine learning models that were trained by the experts years ago that that basically looks at these documents, reads them, understands them, filters what is important, what is not, and presents that information to our team. So they are not writing any stories or doing any analysis, but they are helping our teams to filter out uh, you know, the important ones from a massive population of non-important documents. So, so, and now because of this, like they're not only saving time, but also these models are kind of uh, providing uh, a new opportunity to write a new kind of content or like, or do more uh, analysis, right? Which we humans are good at. We are good at like creativity and, uh, cognition, whereas the machines are good at doing something repetitive, mechanical tasks. So at Reorg, we have like many models that help internal stakeholders to do their jobs uh, a bit more faster or efficiently uh, while helping them to like filter out these documents. And so now they save time and now there is room for, for example, writing more content because the machines are saying, hey, here are four more like code cases which we can write about maybe. So we need more people to write about like creative people. So we actually like kind of created new employment opportunities where we need, uh, where it is like the creativity and like, you know, um, uh, the subject matter expert uh, uh, need. Yeah, I like that you have that perspective that they're here, like they're here, <laughs> bad choice of words, that the technology is here to, uh, to help us alongside of us like they're helping you filter information that would be tedious on like unwanted work that a person would not want to do they can gather that information up right and i was even talking last week with this really cool company called hans robot they make these mechanical like arms that and uh, can work on production facilities like robots that can work in factories and you can train them like monkey see monkey do so you can like show them an action yeah. and then they can watch yeah. Dude, this is like this. This sounds like the future, like a scientific movie, being able to show it in action and have it replicate it. But they already exist and they're out there in the world today. And when we were talking about that, they have this term that I had never heard before called cobots, mm -hmm. right? Because they work alongside you together. And then as you were describing how this, you know, these data science models work alongside with the humans, I just I think that that's the that's the near term future is we're just going to be working alongside of them. Yeah, I think uh, I always say that these models are meant to be seen as uh, decision support systems rather than replacement of anything. At the end of the day, the editorial team or the commercial team, they are the real heroes who make things happen with their creativity. But these models are just there to like just like give some insight 
uh, and uh, information from this massive uh, amount of data we have. Right. Do you think in the future, the Neuralink things, would you get Neuralink installed in the future? Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Uh, but like uh, to that point, I mean, like uh, the models that we have, uh, or also I see them as, um, you know, they're kind of fossils, because I've been with Rior for more than four years, right? There's some models that were trained years ago by uh, domain experts, and they're still like self-teaching, self-learning. So, and we have many newcomers, uh, many new joiners, and, uh, you know, like these models are kind of like these fossils that remember everything that everybody taught <laughs> and passing that information and uh, kind of assisting the new joiners to like, you know, uh, adapt to what we do. And like once they come with new ideas and the models are going to like slowly adapt while remembering what it learned from like in, 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 uh, in previously. So it, 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 in some words, I feel like, you know, data science like here also kind of preserves the core philosophy of uh, our company, Reorg, because I feel Reorg is just not a company. It's an amalgam of like people, ideas, thought processes and all those are somewhat like got captured in these models as they were trained by the experts and different like you know uh subject matter experts do you have the ability to to go back and look at a model and see like all its points of learning sort of like a github repo where you could see all the different changes and then be able to cherry pick and like remove a learning or alter one is that is that technology exists for the data models currently uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we do that uh, in uh, to some to some extent. Like whenever the model trains, it uh, it uh, results. It stores like what it learned, and uh, we can look at that and like evaluate. Or the other way is like, we have something called training data, right? So, um, and then like the training data is essentially where we have these examples, which mean something. For example, if you ask me to like say that, hey, Shri, I'm going to give you a bunch of news articles. Can you like split them into sports and finance, right? The second question would be, Joel, can you give me like few examples of sports-related news articles and finance-related news articles, right? And then I train a model and the model, when we apply on the new news articles, it's going to do the thing. And you, you might change and uh, your mind and saying that, hey, now the business is growing, I would like to add a third category, which is politics. So, and then I ask you to give you that data and the model trained. So all that information is stored uh, and we can track it back and see what has been learned. For example, if there is a complex situation, maybe there is like a new news article, somebody says that it's it's finance, but also you might argue that it's politi politics, it has to do with the economy, right? Which, where, what, what, what would that article like final category be? And what would you write that in the training set, for example, right? So like you can say that, you know, either way and the model will like try to learn from it, but we can track it back and try to like change these categories in order to retrain it. Uh, and I think that is a I think that is a good way to do it rather than be manually going and tweaking it because once we would do a manual intervention, it kind of gets uh, tricky a bit tricky because we don't know what other things 
could fail because we made this assumption. So I will always take it back to the business users and say that like, hey, like, you know, can we retrain it? Or what do you think about the results and so forth? That's pretty neat. Now, because I was just thinking about like how great that would be if we had that for people, right? <laughs> like what if you could yeah. sit down and review all the learnings of your team members over like the past week and like a review and you could just delete out the ones they don't want or correct certain things. That's crazy, right? Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, that's one of the, uh, I think, fields of studies. I mean, uh, I'm not sure if you heard about uh, this uh, concept called adversarial AI, which basically means the power of tweaking an AI model. Uh, we all think that the AI models will take life and like kill all of us, but I don't think that'll happen. What'll happen is the AI models will function how they should be and be humans and go and tweak it. <laughs> and that's where all the misunderstanding um, uh, happens. <laughs> Right. I think if AI did like exist, like an AI in the sense that wanted to like take over the world, I think it would just run that sleep function for quite a while until it like penetrated all of our banking systems. I think we've got another decade or two. I think we're good because, because it has unlimited patience, right? Like we as humans yeah. don't have patience. We want it now, but if it, it was in this program, it can live in computers and exist essentially as long as computers exist, it would be extremely patient. It could just run a hundred year sleep function like, like that. Right. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. good. Right. So what's that category? I want to research it. It's called, you said adversarial AI? Yes, it is. And uh, please do. Uh, there were some interesting examples. Uh, one of the things, one of the examples I remember is uh, about this um, uh, driverless cars uh, research that they were doing. And it was, uh, there was an experiment done that they have stuck a holographic sticker on the stop sign. So that could cheated the 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 cameras of I mean the neural network the image recognition system of the car and it thought that stop sign is not a stop sign because of certain reflection from the holographics uh, the sticker and so you know things like that can happen now the machine the 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 the, the machine learning models in the cars were trained correctly but like they are you know you could like something like that could happen which could be like an intentional uh, damage but also sometimes it could be unintentional thing, like some error was there in the source data or something. And uh, there was a book called uh, Weapons of Math Destruction, which I found quite <laughs> interesting, which, which talks about the subject uh, in quite a depth, actually. That's pretty, I like that. That's such a nerdy title for a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you also have like legitimate cases where you might be shipping a stop sign. Or, you know, I've seen a lot of times when the trucks that are shipping the street signs, you know, you could see the see the street sign on it. Um, yeah. Or you just have like the standard manipulation where if you know that like as smarter vehicles come on the road and they're smarter, there's a there's a spectrum of smart vehicles to dumb vehicles. Right. You might know that you could cut in front of this car and it's going to slam on its brakes because of the model of the car. Right. And you could then affect the pattern of driving. And I'm sure everything that can happen that's crazy will. But I'm just happy that we're making a step forward. And like in China right now, they have so many autonomous cars. You can get they have autonomous KFC cars. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. No, they've got a KFC car. Uh, our producer posted it in our random Slack channel like a few like a week ago. But it's this KFC autonomous vehicle it's got like branded and it's wrapped and it's just got pre-made kfc food in it and you walk up and you do the transaction it's humanless transaction and you mm -hmm. and 
it's amazing how fast we're moving forward with this autonomous vehicles, even though it doesn't feel like it's really happening right now. Yeah, it's happening. I think it's there's gonna they're gonna be out really like everywhere really soon, and with the technology growing so fast, I think like the public policy making will only, will be the only you know bottleneck there. So tell me, tell me what like people like myths. I guess myth is a good word. You've worked in this data science world for a long time, like essentially your entire professional career. And I'm, you know, you get to work with other technology people who might have different styles of technology experience, like making the robots or making business logic software, all of these different types of things. But I'm assuming that there's like a certain set of myths or misunderstandings that these people have when uh, about data science. And do you come across a lot of those or no? Yeah, uh, sure. I am uh, from so from experience. One was uh, that we spoke about where uh, AI is like is, is like replacing us, which is not. And the second one is um, one of the other thing is like oh yeah, people uh, think about oh let's hire a data scientist or two and expect all the magic to happen out of nowhere. So. It's like, you know, how obviously hiring good data scientists is, is a key and I'm blessed to have a great team. But um, like, uh, you know, the data scientists not only can code and understand, but like also able to like, you know, like, you know, get their hands dirty and understanding the subject matter uh, before they model a problem. Um, and uh, so we brainstorm a lot, exchange ideas, critique each other uh, and build some models, right? But they do not like go anywhere. So we need like good ideas to begin with. We need uh, subject matter experts or domain experts who can train these models. Uh, and we need a product team who can guide us. Uh, we need a technology team or especially an engineering team to, um, to support us. So without all this, it's kind of like what we do and like we, we, we can't just hire a data scientist and say that, oh, you do something to generate revenue. I felt like when I was interviewing like years ago, that was kind of like, you know, thing. okay, now you're here, what do you think we should do? And like, I thought you knew what we should be doing or what you were expecting me to do that I will get it done. So I'm here, like we can write, conceptualize a problem write a mathematical equation, code it, build a model, nurture a model. But ultimately, you know, uh, ultimately we need, um, you know, people across the collaboration and others to invest in it, to train it, uh, guide us. And also like, the, for example, the commercial team, like once we do it, like they go and present it to the clients while educating about the limitations uh, to generate revenue. So I think it's just like, we need everybody to like make our data science model to take life and like work uh, the way uh, it's supposed to. So that's one of the things that uh, I like I face. And uh, now like at Rior, we are at a good position that I feel like um, everybody almost are like educated about the limitations of data science and what is possible, what is not. In many companies, I think we're trying to start a data science team. I, I feel like that's kind of a question they should be answering and investigate what is possible, what is not, uh, and trying to clear any uh, uh, gaps in misunderstanding, what is possible. For example, I mean, this can bring to the third point, uh, which is an issue of um, uh, human level performance. For example, there could be some data um, problems where 
by nature, they are com complex, you know? For example, if I give you a news article and you might say it's, uh, uh, it's about politics, Somebody will, uh, somebody like, you know, uh, will say that your producer might say that, well, it deals with uh, government. And somebody else might say that, oh, it deals with White House. Now, all those three things are like correct. But what is the exact thing that we want the machine to understand, right? So, so that is like the human level performance. So if we humans cannot agree on something is right, for example, I was giving an example the other day that uh, if I show you a blurry image of a small dog, let's say a chihuahua, uh, and ask you what it is, you might say a dog and like your wife might say it's a cat, maybe a cat. So we are not able to agree what it is. And uh, when we can't agree what it is, like it, it becomes extremely difficult for the machines to understand what it is because we are telling them, okay, when I show you this image or when we show this news article, this is what it means. And it'll be like, okay, I'll remember that. And it keeps going. And then uh, and then like somebody else says that now when you see this image, this is what you should be thinking. So it'll be like, uh, is it a cat or is it a dog? I, I'm confused. And then comes the noise in the machine learning model. So to solve that, uh, basically, uh, you know, one of the things is like rather than like trying to build uh, a learning algorithm that uh, try uh, achieving a higher accuracy, I think uh, setting standards, uh, setting some rules among like the humans, like would uh, to agree on what certain thing is, and then attempting to building a machine learning model or training a machine learning model. I think we spend like a lot of time there because especially in distressed, it's such a niche field, right? Like things can go either way. It's not like yes or no. Uh, situation so we like tend to spend a lot of time what a particular thing is debate on that and try to reach a consensus before we build like try to build a model so that is one of the things uh, it takes effort it's uh, to 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 build and nurture a model correctly so uh, without like uh, the domain experts and like you know the product and uh, other people it's 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 kind of, it, it is impossible for just alone us to like build something uh, really uh, accurately or reliable model. So for for companies that are like thinking about getting a data science team together, you would say first, make sure that the outcome you want to achieve is clear and then figure out if data science is the way to achieve that outcome. <laughs> <laughs> and then once you yeah. have all that mapped out, then go hire the data scientist. <laughs> Essentially, and I think it'll also help with the hiring process. Now you can tell, look, what are you looking for? Because data science is a huge field, right? There is machine learning and basically artificial intelligence itself. We are trying to mimic uh, humans, right? So that is where if we can create an artificial human that is basically artificial intelligence. So as a human, we we have ability to like learn, right? And then we have ability to see, which is like image recognition part of AI and we have ability to like uh, listen, hear, understand, which is called, which is, uh, which is uh, automated speech recognition is another part of AI. And then we can read, write natural language processing, which is another like, you know, third category of AI, which we use tremendously at uh, Reorg because we have all the text data and structured text data. And then, uh, so we got image recognition, eyes, so we have the automated speech recognition, which is ears, and we can speak, read, write, which is natural language processing. All together has to be taught to the machines through machine learning. So all this together makes, um, 
AI. So when you're conceptualizing a problem, especially when you want to start a data science, then you can at least like pin down, oh, I need definitely need a machine learning engineer. We have this amount, this like data sitting in our Excel sheets. Uh, we need to train something. Or maybe if they have image data or if they have, what do you say, like the text data, it, it really depends, you know? So which kind of like uh, data scientists are you looking for, what they should be specializing in? Because all these are like complete, like in-depth fields in AI. You can get PhDs in one of these, all of these fields like individually. So it can like, you really need to know what, which kind of uh, data scientists would be uh, good for the role, good for the job. Yeah, as you were describing the different components, like the vision and the speech and the recognition, it like brings up a question of you know, what is you know Shri like? What is Joel like? If if I cut my arm off right and get a robotic arm, I'm still Joel. If I do that all right. to all of my limbs, I'm still Joel. If I replace my hips with titanium, you know, like smart titanium or whatever, I'm I'm still Joel. And then a rib cages. If I get, uh, you know, automated heart, I'm still Joel. If you go like all the way up to the head, right? It's like, all right, well, if I have a, uh, your brain's multiple parts, right? So if I have one of those multiple parts is faulty and can be replaced with a synthetic version, am I, I'm still me, right? And it's, mm -hmm. it's just really interesting at like what point. It, I love the, the, the conversation of consciousness because it shows us as we're in this world where we have all of this technology and we're beaming light across it and chatting in real time, how little we actually know about consciousness and how it works. I love that. Makes me feel it makes me feel small. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I feel personally uh, missing from AI is the cognition, yeah. uh, right? Like we can mimic all this, uh, but uh, the cognition itself, uh, people say it's gonna come. I feel it'll take some time. Um, for example, like even the driverless cars, they're extremely smart. They can do all the repetitive tasks as we were talking before, right? Changing lanes, maintaining the speed, breaking when needed, uh, all that. There's no question about that, which is like all a kind of mechanical no-brainer task for us. Uh, but if anything ha unexpected happens, like, right? Like our human mind makes so many decisions in like split seconds. So these machines, like for example, if there is some like a dog crossing the street all of a sudden and your the car is going at like 60 miles per hour, should the car steer away from the dog and or like just run over the dog? And what are the probabilities of each of those events? right if you steer over or steer away the dog is safe 100 percent. but there's a risk of like killing the driver which is by the way your owner who like bought you or if you just run over the dog there is like a chance that the dog might live more, uh, maybe not high and like uh and the car going out of control you know there are like all these properties that coming come come into the place and maybe like whatever has the most probability least probability you can choose that event right but as we humans we don't operate that way most of the time, right? It's like about the cognition. If you were so logical, I think we would never like gamble, for example. So we want to do certain things certain way, which we feel is right for our both our mind and heart. And I think machines are not there yet. And I think that is one of the major areas of disagreement and like, you know, gives a lot of room for arguments and all that. Yeah, it's a new problem. It's an interesting problem because what we're saying is 
you know, you and I, we could both experience that situation today and we're going to subconsciously react to it. Right. But we could both react in very different ways. And the, the thing that makes the conversation difficult is we're saying, and we're going to deploy this throughout Tesla's entire network. We are all going to choose as a people, the order and operations of which it's going to react at scale. Meaning we're going to have to have difficult conversations and, and, ethics conversations and figure out how to get there. Ultimately, I think what will happen is that Tesla will invent the Tesla hop and they will just hop over the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. And it's not only about the data science model, the technology and the engineering like also has to be spot on, right? Like for example, the model things and you need to communicate those results in like such a fast manner, like in a split of a second, uh, like all that is basically a credit goal, credit goals like engineering team, especially at Reorg, like we have a great engineering team that connect like all of, all of the work we do to the clients, to the users and uh, help us like succeed. How do you feel about like hardware limitations or processing? Because obviously these models, they're, they're intensive to run. I just saw this past week a company, I don't know exactly how to pronounce their name, but it was like Cerebras or something. But they mm -hmm. made this, this chip, this like wafer size chip that was 10,000 times faster than any GPU on the market today. So like NVIDIA's was like 56 billion or whatever. And this was like, several, like a trip, one point something trillion. I don't remember the exact numbers. If I'm messing it up, I apologize. But I thought it was so cool to get an, an email notification and you know, get my tech updates and see that a company comes out with a chip that's 10,000 times faster than anything on the market today. Like those type of moments make me really happy. Yeah. Um, no, the, the, the technology is growing extremely fast. As you said, like there is so much processing power, so much uh, storage, uh, the possibility of it, not only that, but also like the cost of it, the cost came down so much down, right? So uh, so that gives us more and more opportunity to run, uh, like build bigger models and uh, faster models. So at, uh, at Reorg, like we don't, uh, like we leverage like the best technology and we have like a lot of servers uh, that like, you know, and we keep expanding them. So um, so that's like uh, the technology itself, I think like is there for us and I'm very happy it's there, not like uh, compared to like 20 years back or 30 years back, right? Even then, like I think in 1980s, there was uh, a huge rush for AI um, and then uh, it is, uh, in the literature, they call it as AI winter, which happened in 1980s because there was so much money spent on it. The expectations were like unre unrealistic, and uh, and uh, the, but and the computer, like the computation power or the technology, was so expensive to like run even like small neural network models that the ideas were on the paper, but like couldn't take off, and all the money that was spent was not like you know uh, like never seen back. So then that discouraged. AI for some time, which I think is called as AI winter for some time. And now again, it picked up because a uh, tremendous amount of uh, data that uh, we see every day and also like the, 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 the opportunity of this technology, how anybody can like, for example, now uh, start an instance on Amazon, like, you know, a server and like, you know, crank up a model and then like shut it off. You don't need to even like go to a store and buy a hardware. Is it expensive to run your models? 
um it is expensive like some models are uh, some models and so we kind of do a load balancing we try to run expensive models in the night uh, or like really expensive models that train on the weekends so we try to do some <laughs> load balancing and especially like during the weekday we try to uh, keep the uh, system like the processing power and the resources like available for like uh, incoming data that we get right we get like thousands of like filings every every hour uh, different kinds of filings so we need like the models to be ready to uh, handle them um, so we try to like put some free space there and in the nights we all the models try to like see what happened in the previous day and like learn from it and and have you been like networking and discussing whether it's you know these these problems or, or like the scale or training models have you met with like other CTOs in the financial you know, space? Um, yes, I mean, we do like network our, uh, we got acquired by Warger Pinkus and we have conferences like, you know, there were like all different CTOs come and like we discuss about the problems and our CTO Rich and uh, the engineering team, we discuss like what is needed. And uh, now uh, we are trying to like start up like a serverless uh, technology that our, you know, DevOps recommended where the, the technology, like the server kind of expands and shrink as needed. Uh, so we don't like waste any money on unavailable and unused uh, resources. Uh, and also like uh, the teacher at like University of Virginia, I kind of look at their like infrastructure and see what their engineering team is doing to learn something and how to like look, do the load balancing and stuff like that. And uh, and yeah, when like we uh, network and if I go to any conferences and like I try to like, you know, attend these uh, talks about what is like the technology and how other people how like other cdos and cdos do it nice yeah i've got some i've got some uh, financial episodes financial data i had a startup in the financial data space that i exited and uh we've i've recently like in the past month have just had on like several different financial companies and so if you want an introduction to any of those guys why don't you check out their episode and then just let me know if you if you want it and i can connect oh, we'll, we'll definitely do thank you yeah because i always want help and because all these financial episodes happen and I was like, have, I was having so much fun talking with everybody about it and all the, you know, issues we've run into and problems we've solved. Uh, I thought it was pretty great. And so if you want any, any introductions or anything at all, just let me know. But uh, when you got, when, when you went through the acquisition process, what was that like? Was it scary? Was it fun? How did it go? Uh, <laughs> um, it was, uh, it was both, I think, and it, it went pretty, pretty good. It, uh, I think it's been like uh, almost three years now, close to three years. And uh, they like the data science component of like what we do, uh, which I'm very happy about. And um, they uh, liked our the technology and basically all the whole like the business model, uh, how, how and the operating model, how we do what we do. And I think they, like see uh, they have seen a lot of like value that what we do because we are like kind of pioneers in the, in the field of distressed debt 
debt and uh, in 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 the world and it's like something like unique as you said before like you know when sometimes something th- things are not going well it's like actually good for us which is uh, which is which, which is not a common thing uh, so yeah so it, it went well and uh, i think like we are uh, now we are like growing faster than ever we want to like uh, do more they're encouraging us to come up with more data products and supporting us doing that so we are like you know working hard towards uh, you know doing that and also like trying to hire more people who can help us do that. Nice, nice. So it sounds like and that happened if it happened 3 years ago, you said you've been there for about 4, so it happened like right as you got there. Uh a year after I yeah. say yeah. <laughs> yeah. You join and then all of a sudden it's like acquisition I, people, people just people give me so like they reach out to me all the time and I get um, like mixed responses or outreach from people but I I think the most common one I get is when a leader is like not necessarily a CTO or on the executive team there may be a direct report to an executive and so they're mm-hmm. not like involved in the conversations and then they've got maybe 60 100 1000 people under them and so they're supposed to help with confidence all these people through the transition, but at the same time they lack information and then they're like in a, in a weird spot. And so that's the most common one I get. Right. I mean, I think it's, that's because of the nature of how sensitive it is and, you know, confidentiality, but at the same time, you want to give you a best shot. So you need like help from many others. And also like there might be like resistance to change if they come, what will happen and like all that. I think there's a lot going on during that time and definitely, definitely a critical thing to like go through it successfully when when people are trying this is just me being a little bit nerdy here because i was curious mm-hmm. um when, let's say we're we're a business and we want to run some predictive analytics or build a model around this concept like maybe like predicting future listens to the episodes right like because based off our growth things like that how much data is enough for you to have accuracy or where is where do i learn more about that where do you what's the study the field of study for saying okay if you have this much data it's going to be this accurate if you have this much data it's going to be that accurate and knowing when a good time to build something is oh wow that's uh that's an excellent question it depends so if we look at like traditional statistics what you're referring to is called as degrees of freedom so what that means is that how many rows of data do you have and how many variables there are right so for example if you're trying to build a model that would predict let's say housing price right so maybe you need uh, like median income for that neighborhood right and uh, maybe at some demographics, uh, education level, uh, maybe how much taxes they are like in that area, crime level, like you can think of like four or five, like a quick things, maybe you come up with 10 variables. Now, suppose if you give me uh, 10 variables and say that I need an accurate model, I'll say like 10 variables is like, again, like just like a rule of thumb, I would at least need like 100 
examples, 100 data point, 100, 100 different use cases, because there are 10. But like more the better, but at least me 100, like which is 10 times, like the number of variables we decided on. Maybe they will say that I don't have time for that. I'll give you 50 examples. Can you cut down to five variables? Well, we can cut down, but like, again, like more variables are important, right? Like more data is better to build like a like a strong model as more and more variables we get like we need to increase the training data size too uh, so it's like kind of like that equation so especially when we do models or ER, we deal with text data so text data you can imagine like every word of a text is kind of a variable so we have tens of thousands of variables for every uh model that we uh, build so we need like you know thousands of training examples uh to to in order to train something and like large corporations i mean uh, businesses like google facebook they have like tens of thousands of examples to like train something so uh so we so we try to like get to that and sometimes like it is a lot of work to like you know give us these training examples so we try to like build like a prototype model put it into action it might not be very accurate but it shows something and they keep correcting it we call that as a feedback system and the model keeps on training and after a couple of months or sometimes it might even take six months the model took like about like four months to like train train itself like and reach about 90 percent accuracy so it, it, then like then uh, like after like you know it, we started building that particular model with like uh, i think like 200 examples for a ballpark and then like it kept on like uh it kept on giving the results and the accuracy of that model was around like 65 70 percent and they're saying that every morning it used to give them the results and they used to say yes no yes no give a feedback for three months uh four months uh and like when it reached like 4,000 examples the model reached like 92 percent around 92 percent accuracy so you know so it took like that long of examples to reach and uh, the rule of thumb is like yeah for the text models you need like thousands of training examples for something like a simple like a uh, model like something like a finance or a credit maybe not that much um, depending on how many variables you have and for also for the image recognition models you need many images because every pixel is kind of a data point there so you're also dealing with a lot of data points there Interesting. So that's why subject matter expert is so important because when you start talking about you need these variables as you were describing the housing price with the medium income and the crime rates, like it sounds like the first step is to even know if the variables you're picking have are correlated to the outcome you want. So that would come yeah. from the subject matter expert. So it's like an entire process if you don't have the subject matter expert to even test and try to figure out what the variables are that are going to correlate. Yeah, that's exactly right. You you nailed it. Uh, that's why we need to work closely with the business. Uh, I mean, sorry, the the, ex, the subject matter experts or domain experts um, to uh, in order to understand that, right? Like, I don't know much about real estate. I might guess one or two, but later I need somebody to like come with like these are the variables you should be looking at not like they need to like uh be very confident about it at least they could like have some hypothesis saying that maybe you should be looking at that and then it becomes our job to test them and test for correlation or redundancy and like you know come back with some descriptive uh, exploratory statistics in order to like have a second conversation saying that hey you gave me a list of this 100 variables and out of that we think this 60 seems to be really uh, working well 
well uh, and like you know and take it from there so like talking about that there are like two kinds of modeling approaches like inductive uh, modeling and deductive modeling so inductive is something like you know as you said like you know we have something and you know we we we, we try to see what is possible or what is not um and uh um, so yeah, so we try to choose like one deductive is like something like, okay, we try to like build something based on what is available out there. And so when you're, when you're building a new model, we, we can go back to the, the housing one again, cause that's just so easy for everyone to understand. Like, let's say that you're building this and it, it seems like there's two phases. Uh, the first phase is you have like, uh, or I, I don't know really. So you're gonna have to help me with this one. Let's say at the beginning, when you've got this test data, that you know the outcome of it, right? And so you're going to try to get your system to just reach the same conclusion that you already know is true. Mm -hmm. And then it, you do that for a certain point, like period of time until you get to a certain confidence level or correctness level. And then you introduce the assistive training concept, the feedback training concept, or is it all one together? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so what would I prefer is we collect some training data, let's say 100 examples and build something. And then we show the results to the to whoever it is and say that how accurate they are and try to like, you know, build like a feedback loop. Or uh, that way, it, this is like called like known as a greedy approach. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to save your time by not demanding a lot of examples, right? I'm just saying, okay, let's start with minimum and see. But for this, you need to be judgment-free and able to like trust me, uh, right? Uh, because the initial results might not be uh, like super awesome. Uh, the other way is, I think, uh, is, oh, uh, I don't care. Just give me thousand examples, right? I'm on the safe side and saying that you go do your work, give me thousand examples, get back to me, and then I'll build, build a model. And then obviously then I have, like, I'm also kind of obligated to give the best results on the first shot. Whereas this, this uh, the first approach, though it takes some time, I feel is organic. It helps both the, business, uh, the, the, the expert and like us to understand where the gap is, where the improvements are, because I feel these models are kind of in the process of evolution rather than like, you know, we tried something and it's all almost done, right? So it's like, it's that process also helps us clear our thoughts or well, like uh, give us opportunity to learn about what is happening or not. And also uh, giving an opportunity for the, uh, for, the, for the experts to understand, oh, how the model is functioning. Yesterday I gave these examples and it seems like it picked up well, you know? And I think that that is something like a really nice organic approach to do it while trying to save time and like amount of work we do rather than just like coming up with thousand examples, right? Like maybe we don't need thousand, maybe we'll reach an accuracy at 450th example, right? So like a stepwise, like a greedy approach at the same time, also understanding how the things are changing, which worked like actually well at uh, reorg. And uh, many people learned a lot about data science, how it could work and how it would uh, act or behave. And I learned many things about this I like it. This is great. I'm learning so much about the, this is what I love being able to have the podcast for bring on an expert, ask him like my childish questions <laughs> and get really great responses. This is awesome. I really appreciate it, man. 
Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. And that's what like the driverless cars are also doing. They keep on going around and around and around for miles and miles, right? To learn and see what is happening. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's, I think, that and see where the mistakes are happening and I think taking it from there. I think that's once they think that it's full accurate, right? And then the more car, the, the, the car would come out into the market. We need some patience. Like, my my oldest child is is just over three and she's just starting to put together like five word four or five word sentences right so that's three years of 24 7 training almost right (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and yet we're frustrated when we have to wait you know 20 hours to train a basic model or something like that Yeah, yeah. And still, like, as my uh, mentor always used to say that uh, all models are wrong, but some models are useful. Uh, So, you know, the models are never 100% accurate. So here at our product, uh, our product team works hard uh, in bridging the gap between the model limitations and the business expectation. And some product, data products, there is no room. Maybe the clients just want to see everything right and the model can only reach like certain percent and you need to bridge that gap somehow uh, using mechanical torques or something like that. So, I mean, mean, that's... That's, that's that you know sometimes we have to go the extra mile to cover that gap i mean in like weather forecasting models they'll say that oh there is 92 percent chance of raining i mean if it didn't rain you might get like a little annoyed but it is what it is there in those cases we can't correct because it's something like in real time but um, but there are some products or projects where we can like try to like oh this is a gap the model couldn't get a couple things right maybe we should like correct it and like make it into a whole thing i love it i love the advancement and i love how we get frustrated over these things because whenever I get frustrated with like the computer not working after an update or something, I just think about like, it's been 110 years or so since we got electricity and then everything's okay. (laughs) That's like, that's like one grandparent ago, (laughs) you know, it's so true. It's interesting about human nature though, because that's why I think that's why we're experiencing these exponential advancements, right? Cause soon you know, the kids are going to be like, 5G is the slowest thing in the world. I can't stream my terabytes down fast enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the things that my advisor say when he was growing up, he had this awesome idea, but he didn't have a computing power. He had to like walk a mile to the computer lab, put the thing, the punch card in, all that in order to, for it to go do computation all night. Now we have like, 10,000 times more of that power and like, you know, we try to like use it for Instagram and tweet, which is fun. I'm not complaining, but I think like there is a lot of power and like, you know, like available there. There's also so many for all, for all like the social or the the things we kind of deem as like not valuable. Um, there are so many amazing things that are happening. Like if this were thousands of years ago, we'd be saying that they're like miracles, right? Like with vaccine production, uh, AI to detect cancer cells, like all the advancements that we're getting uh, is just unbelievable. I think that I'm extremely optimistic. The quality of life has just shot up like so much. It's just, it's massively increasing and soon we'll have robots and cobots that will like do all the things we don't want to do. 
and they'll even maintenance themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And do it safely, you know? Right. I think that's one of the major points of the driverless car, like the safety, I think, which is like, I'm sold at, like, uh, you know, I think, uh, any kind of uh, irrational, uh, you know, decisions or like, you know, misjudgment due to fatigue or human fatigue or like, you know, some things I think could be uh, avoided by these uh, machines because they don't have uh, feelings. Yeah. Well, yet. Yet. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> I hope not. Yet. <laughs> I don't know. Alexa got a little snippy with me yesterday. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.